That's right. Welcome in. Welcome back to another winter edition of the Always Irish Notre Dame Football Podcast channel. Just because it's the offseason does not mean there's not a lot to talk about around Notre Dame. There's always a bunch of stuff going on, and I have a bunch of topics I want to get into today. Let's get the introduction out of the way so we could get into this. We have we have some philosophical, somewhat existential things that I want to go over today uh, that are unique to where Notre Dame's program is positioned right now. Just some things rattling around in my head. It's nice when you hit the offseason, you have more time to let things marinate, to think about things, because it's not as hectic week to week, game review, preview review. Everything you think you know changes week to week in college football during the season. So being out of it, it's given given me some time to, to think about some things. And, and I have some questions I want to run by you guys and tell me what you think the answers are. These are just things rattling around in whatever brain I have left, okay? So let's do the introduction. Let's go over some of this stuff. As always, you can find me on YouTube, Always Irish, on Twitter, type in the search bar, Always Irish, or at JKZND4. iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, they're all brought to you in part by Big Heads Media. Like, subscribe, share, review, write mean comments, I, I don't care what you do, I just enjoy the interaction. So that being said, let's get into this. Okay, so first things first. National Signing Day was last week. Not that that mattered for Notre Dame much, uh, which is a part of what I want to speak about. So now that this class is officially complete, we look at where it falls in the big picture. I want to gauge where you guys are at with this and what you think. And also, what's a part of this now is Brian Kelly's comments about ramping up recruiting and being in the top, you know, 10 or 15 isn't good enough. We need to do better than that. Those are not, that is not me putting words in Brian Kelly's mouth. Those are what Brian Kelly's actually said is that we're trying to get out of that kind of 15-ish type thing. And, and so we look at that. Then we look at our signing class that was well, every single guy we had was in the fold with early signing day. So now that this is all cleared up and it's all over, let's let's take a look at where we're at. Okay, so so here's my my first thought. Now, this could just be me being a, a being a wise guy and my sarcasm or whatever. But here's my number one thought. Why does it take over a decade? For Brian Kelly to realize it might be a good idea to set your recruiting goals higher than the top 15 or 20. I don't understand that. It's never been a secret that we need more talent to get over the hump and win big games we're not winning. So I do not understand why it takes 10, 11, 12 years. Who knows how long before we decide that's a good idea and that we're publicly going to state that that's the priority and, and where we need to get. So 
That annoys me right off the bat because to me, that's something you know day one. I don't, I do not understand why we're over a decade into this before it hits him as a good idea to make that the public stated goal of recruiting. That's number one. That's number one. Number two. Here's number two. When exactly is this all going to kick in? That's my next question. You know, we need to ramp this up. We're changing things. We're going to do things to get out of that top 15 and into the top near five. That's what Brian Kelly's saying. So when is when can I expect that to kick in? Year 12, 13, 14? When's that coming? Because depending on where you look, this class ended 14th, 17th, 20th, somewhere in that range. So whatever that goal was, it obviously didn't apply for this year. So I'm asking, is that going to kick in next year or what? Because apparently this big revelation that you need top-end talent to win big just hit Brian Kelly this this offseason. So when can I expect that? It ain't this year. This is another year where you feel really good about where you're sitting in the summer and really good about where you're sitting in the fall in the recruiting rankings. You feel really good about the top-end elite skill talent that's in this class. I don't backtrack from that. This class is a step up. You got some actual impact, play early, elite-type potential guys. And that's something we've lacked and we've needed. I'm not taking away from that. We definitely need that, and this class has that, which is fantastic. But I don't see somebody's got to explain to me how we're going to close this gap. Like, we've, been, we've all been writing and podcasting and blogging and talking about how this particular recruiting class is different and a step up because it has all these elite athletes and guys that can play early. We all know the names. The guys we're excited to see get a chance early once they get to campus. That's all true. That's all fine. That's all good. But at the end of the day, this class ended up between 14 and 20, depending on who you ask. So when I sit here and, and if you want to say, okay, Brian Kelly said that the top five is a goal now after this recruiting class was already pretty much done. And okay, fine, fine, fine. Let me grant him that. Aside from my frustrations of the fact that it took him this long to announce this is horrifying to me. and I don't understand it, but let's run with that. That Kelly was, was figuring moving forward for the next couple cycles is when we're going to try and reach that goal, change what we're doing. So here's the question then that I have, and I'm not being sarcastic. I'm genuinely asking this question. If you want to tell me, which is true, I've done the numbers too. If you look at our small 17-man class, would have been 18 if Bartleson didn't decide to rob an armory right before having the biggest opportunity of his life, it would have been 18. Ended up being 17, all the guys that signed with the early signing day. Fine. So, so fine. I can divide it out per star. Like our 17 guys divide out their individual star numbers versus other teams that have 23, 24 guys in their recruiting class do the same thing and divide it out per star average. 
And then Notre Dame does end up somewhere in that 9-10 range. So that should make you feel a little bit better about the annual signing day drop Notre Dame has. There is nothing anybody could tell me. Nothing. There is nothing anyone could tell me that's going to make me feel better about Notre Dame not being a factor on actual signing day. You could average out the numbers. I understand a lot of the smart kids that value education. They don't play game, hat flip games, so they sign up early, the early signing day, because they're not playing those games. I understand all that. But there is, there's just nothing you could tell me that's going to make me feel better about actual signing day. Every hour at work when I have time, I refresh the button. Notre Dame drops in recruiting. There's nothing anybody could tell me that's going to make me feel better about that. Maybe if we had 17 guys and they were all four or five stars, then maybe I'd feel better. But so here's my overall question that this leads me to. The overall question is, let's give Brian Kelly the, the credit that by the time he said top five's a goal and then you end up 20th on rivals, let's say, you know, that's for next year. Fine. How are you going to make up that gap between feeling pretty darn good about it and wanting to end up in the five, six, seven range when you're on the sidelines on signing day and all the top good players are picking everybody but you and you drop every hour? How is that gap going to be made up next year and the year after it? That means there's two paths here. One would mean... Notre Dame finds a way to get seven, six, seven, eight really good players that are also academically inclined to sign up for Notre Dame at early signing day. That's one way to do it. Is that feasible? Is that realistic to expect seven to six, seven to eight really good players to jump in the fold and sign with Notre Dame early to get them to the 22, 23, 24 player mark? to where they, they could end up in that top 10. I don't know how likely that is. Right? Like, like how many of the really smart kids are also really good at football that are going to sign early at Notre Dame? Seven or eight more of them? I just don't see that being realistic. The other guys that sign early might be guys that don't have a lot of offers or they're lower and they like Notre Dame and they want to they get in the class. Well, that doesn't really excite me either because those aren't top-level kids. They're just another kid. So if it's not realistic, you're going to land six, seven, or eight four-star or higher guys in the early signing period. The only other option is to be a factor on signing day. And we're just not. We're not. I don't even think we had hats on a table for a kid not to pick. That's, far, that's how far removed from the actual big signing day with a lot of big-time kids picking we are. So those are the only two answers I see of how this goal is going to be reached, of being in the top 10 near the, near the top five. You're going to have to land a bigger class and get six, seven, or eight more of those good kids to sign early, which I don't see happening. Or you're going to have to find a way to be a player on actual signing day. 
And I don't know how realistic that is either. So philosophically, that's the question I have for you guys. That's a great goal to have. Yeah, I'm frustrated. It took over a decade for it to be public. But how are we going to get there? I don't know how, but it's extremely frustrating sitting there on signing day and we do nothing but drop because you're not a factor. Now, I understand you're going to say, John, a lot of those hat flipper kids can't even read. They can't get into Notre Dame anyway. So I understand all that. I understand all that. Recruiting at Notre Dame's hard. It's not easy. Everybody working there signed up for it, though. You got to figure it out. But uh, but that's that's where my frustration is. Yes, this class is an upgrade. Yes, it's loaded with some elite skill, talent, and athleticism that could contribute early. So those are great things. But if your stated goal is to get into that top five, six, seven range as a team at the end of signing day, you got some work to do, and I don't know where it's going to come from. I don't know how you're going to get there. I do not see six, seven, or eight more four or five-star kids signing early. I just don't. I don't know if that's realistic. And I also don't see us in play for any of the half flippers or the big guys on signing day. So philosophically, that's where I struggle and get frustrated. How are you going to fill that gap? Because I only see two options, and I don't know if any either one of them is realistic. So that's where I'm at now that this signing day thing. Listen, there is this class is a step up for Notre Dame. But there's no way I'm going to feel good about sitting there on signing day and seeing us drop every time I re- refresh the rankings. There is nothing that's going to make me feel better about that. Nothing. And I complain about it every year because it happens every year. We're always in a really good position. We're sitting pretty. You feel pretty good about it. The end of signing day happens. Boom. Notre Dame drops a dozen spots. It's a big deal. It's a big deal because all those teams passing you are getting the talent and they're the ones already beating you already. So listen, recruiting at Notre Dame's hard. Everybody knows that. That's not an excuse to not be efficient and great at it. That's what you come to Notre Dame for. So they got to figure this problem out. And I just, somebody tell me what I'm missing here. Because the the argument is if, if people are complaining about being ranked 20th on rivals at the end of signing day, people are quick to just say, yeah, but it's a 17-man class, not 22 or 23. That's why it's all the way down at 20. If you're going to say that, it's factually accurate. But I think you're ignoring a bigger issue down the road, which is what I said. I, you got to tell me, if we have room for a bigger class, where are those guys going to come from? And I'm not talking about bodies. I'm not talking about reaching your numbers and filling it out with two-star projects that are athletic. No. You need dudes. You need real dudes. So somebody's got to give me the roadmap to get six, seven, or eight more of those high-end guys. Two or three or four of them on signing day, and then the other two or three or four on early signing day? From where I sit right now for Notre Dame, that does not seem realistic at all. 
we're not even in the freaking mix for any of these big-time guys on signing day. Where the hell are you coming up with six, seven, or eight more high-end guys to get us where we want to go? I don't know. So if I'm missing something, let me know. But that's a tough ask. You know, it's it's kind of like the... This is similar to the Phil Yurkovic thing. When I would ask, you know, why isn't Phil ever getting a chance? Well, Phil's not ready. And then everybody just moves on with their day and their life. No! The question shouldn't stop there. The next question is, why isn't Phil ready? It drives me crazy when people only dig halfway. It's like, oh, well, Phil's not ready. That's why. And everybody's like, okay. Well, we'll just move on then. No, you got to ask the question, why is it the kid ready? Same thing here. If you want to tell me the only reason that class isn't ranked as high is because it has 17 guys. You got to tell me how you're going to bridge that gap the next time there's 22, 23, 24 scholarships available. Where you're going to get the borderline elite or elite guys, six, seven, or eight more of them to fill that gap to make up the difference. I don't see it. I don't see it. Notre Dame's a non-factor on signing day. So tell me how that's magically going to get done. And I'm all ears. But I can't just stop with saying, okay, it's a smaller class. That's why we dropped to 20th on rivals. I can't do that. I got to ask more questions. How are you going to fill that gap and make that jump with six to eight more high-level guys? I don't know, but you better have a plan for it, and you're getting to it too late when it's almost a dozen years in or 11 years in or whatever it is. Too late to start trying to figure this out. So that's my big picture. This class does excite me. There's a lot of skill, talent, whatever, but if you want to gain ground, <clears throat> excuse me, you want to gain ground on all these other teams that have been beating you, finishing 14th to 20th isn't going to get it done overall. So I just got questions. Somebody's got to tell me how we're going to make the gap up. Something else that I think is important to note about Notre Dame's recruiting effort while we're on this topic and discussion. These recruiting outlets put out like the top 50 recruiting assistants in America for this cycle, like that kind of stuff. Notre Dame has zero of the top 50 recruiters in the country. Now, that's a little misleading because they did have one, and the one was Chip Long. So he's responsible for bringing in a lot of that talent that's in this class, but now he's gone. So now that he's gone, Notre Dame has no top 50 recruiters in the country. Not good enough. You're not going to close that gap when, you, when that's your dynamic. You need at least one electric recruiter. Now, maybe Lance Taylor turns into that. I don't know. I don't know. But as of right now, your top recruiter, you lost. And now it's a super bizarre and interesting dynamic that Chip Long was so great going into these high schools, these living rooms and these kitchens, recruiting these kids and their families and their coaches. And it all goes great. And then once they're on campus, everybody hates playing for the guy. That was the problem with this. Everybody hated playing for him. He was a jerk to the players. So I find it really, really interesting that our top recruiter ha 
had such a horrible relationship with the kids and now he's gone. So now you have a void to fill with that top 50 recruiter situation. And if you don't have at least one of those guys, you're not, you're not going to ramp up your recruiting. Who are you kidding? So who's that guy going to be on this staff? Lance Taylor, Reese, Taylor's supposed to be a great recruiter. These are just questions I have, you guys. It's my job to look critically at where we can improve. And if it sounds nitpicky, it is nitpicky. Because we're 33-6 and six the last three years. I say it all the time. Notre Dame's won as much as you could possibly win in a three-year span without also winning anything anybody cares about or that matters or that changes the national perception of your program. So when you've been that good but not elite, you got to nitpick because when you're 33 and 6, you got a lot of things going good. But you're not great. You're not elite. You're not getting over the hump. You're not changing people's perception of you to start thinking you're a real threat. That only comes when you win big games. That only comes when you win the big games on your schedule. And so when you're talking about assistant re assistant coaches recruiting at Notre Dame, that's why this tight end coach hire and defensive back coach hire are a big deal. Sometimes I think people just say to themselves, well, the offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator are the main guys. These assistant coaches that just have their little position group, how big of a deal really is that? It's a huge deal in recruiting. I could tell you that. I could tell you that. Notre Dame can no longer be carrying dead recruiting staff. You know who was? Todd Light. Oh, sorry. He's a Notre Oh, he played at Notre Dame. I can't say nothing bad. Bad recruiter. Great player. Love him. Loves Notre Dame. Fantastic. Bad recruiter. Okay, so you got to get these hires right because these guys got to recruit. It isn't just about, oh, their little position group on Saturdays. It's the recruiting effort. All of these guys got to be recruiting. You can't carry dead weight. So that leads me to where we're at with these coaching searches and here, here's the thing. These are really tricky. You hear things. You see things online. You hear some rumor. You read this. You read that. It's always awkward opining on coaching stuff because there's so many moving parts, discussions you're not privy to as a fan. It's all speculation when you're not in the room or making the phone calls. So apparently this John McNulty, good Irish name, he's looking to be the tight end coach. Really interesting background almost 30 years coaching college and pro I don't how do I put this the recruiting angle with McNulty is one that I'm concerned about spent most of his 30 years in the NFL offensive coordinator at Rutgers been at Rutgers a couple times an analyst with Penn State but mostly NFL Okay, like I, I guess, okay. I just don't know, like when your bulk of your experience is NFL and then Rutgers, 
none of that gives me any confidence or comfort. You're going to be able to recruit at Notre Dame. When you're coming from the NFL where you don't have to worry about it, and then you're at Rutgers. And before you see that offensive coordinator title next to his name at Rutgers and then feel like, okay, if a guy can run an entire offense, he should be able to run one position group within it. Well, before you think that, recognize that it was Rutgers and one of the worst offenses in America. So this could be good. It could be bad. I don't know. But the recruiting part of this is going to be the main deciding factor for me. The guy's been around forever. I believe he could physically coach the position group. That's not the part I'm worried about. If you have this new recruiting goal, you need every assistant to be all over it. And there's nothing I directly see from this guy's background that gives me any confidence or comfort. You don't have to recruit when you're in the NFL. And if you're running the offense at Rutgers and you're recruiting, God help you who you're targeting. So that's the question I have with that hire. It could turn out fine. I don't know. But my job here is to look at everything critically and try and figure out every end of it. The recruiting end of this is what I'm worried about. Now, similarly, trying to follow what's going on with the defensive back Position group coach, I it's so frustrating. I just quit paying attention to it. I mean, I've heard that Parker from Green Bay. I've heard they may have offered Mickens from Cincinnati. I heard that Jordan Johnson's high school coach in St. Louis, Steeples, is being talked to. So I don't know. I don't know where this is going to fall or or what's behind the scenes here. But the same thing applies. You got to give me somebody that can recruit. You just, you have to give me somebody that can recruit. And in that way, Steeples, the high school coach where we, from the school we pulled Jordan Johnson out of, that intrigues me. That could end up very, very good for you or very, very bad. I mean, on one hand, the guy doesn't have experience recruiting in college. On the other hand, who could possibly know more about how these kids approach recruitment than a guy that's a high school coach that is helping his guys get recruited? So I think that's a very interesting dynamic with Steeples because he's kind of on the other end of it with the high school kids that are being recruited. He knows what that 17-year-old and their family wants to hear or doesn't want to hear, what appeals to them, what doesn't. What works? What doesn't? What, what, you know, all these little nuances, this guy's on, on the reverse end of it from the high school side. So that does appeal to me. It is a little freaky, though, that this has taken so long to get done. That's the other thing with both the tight end and DB. Let's go. Let's wrap this up. We got, let's go. There's things to figure out here. Spring balls around the corner. We got to get this wrapped up and going. Let's go. So I don't know what they're going to do with these hires ultimately, but do not kid yourself. The recruiting part of this is huge. It's huge. Status quo isn't good enough. What we've been doing isn't good enough. Saying we're going to change some things and do that 
is great. I got to see the results. I got to see the results. And so I, I hope this makes sense to you guys. I'm not trying to be a jerk. I'm excited about this class, regardless of where it ended up ranking nationally. It is still a step up for Notre Dame um, because of the, the skill guys that rise to the top of the class. The tricky part is, I don't like saying it's a good class for Notre Dame. That's dangerous. Like that's what we tend to look, how we tend to look at it, rationalize it, say it. That's a dangerous thing to say. That's a good class for Notre Dame. Because what you got to realize is Notre Dame's just not trying to beat Notre Dame. You got to worry about what everybody else is doing too. Perfect example of that is saying, wow, the last couple of years, Notre Dame's really ramped up their recruiting. That's fantastic. I acknowledge that's true. You know who else also has? Clemson. And they were already way better than you. They've also ramped up recruiting the last few years. And they were already way better than you. So how, how are you going to make up that gap? Just because you're doing better doesn't mean you made up the gap. If another team that was already better than you is doing better than you, still. Right? So that's the tricky part saying, well, this is a good class just for Notre Dame. You got to look at the big picture. That's where I, what I'm worried about. How do we bridge that gap between us and the teams we're losing to? The teams that are winning in the playoff. You being better at recruiting, but they're also being better at recruiting. How much gap did you fill then? Now this next point is something that's pretty common knowledge for people. But while we're on this recruiting, I do want to reiterate it because it, it paints a very clear picture of things here. These are the home states of the 368 four and five star prospects of the 2020 class. Florida, 57. Texas, 55. Georgia, 34. California, 31. Everybody else is in the mid-teens or lower. Okay. So I just like throwing that out there. It gives you a picture of where most of this elite talent is. And it just reiterates how important it is. Notre Dame finds some pipelines down there. Coaches they trust. High schools that have good relationships with Notre Dame. Those are the areas you got to put your time and effort into. That's where the top talent's coming out of. It is what it is. None of them are close to Notre Dame. You got to go mine them, find them, and bring them. That's it. There's no other way. This is also the time of the year where I have to do this speech, and a lot of people don't like it, but I think it's fair of me to ask. And that what that topic is, here are the players invited to the NFL Combine this year. LSUS 16, Michigan, Ohio State 11, Georgia, Bama 10, Notre Dame, Utah, Auburn, 9, Florida, Miami, 8, Clemson, Michigan State, Oregon, TCU, Washington, 7, okay? So these tweets circulate out. It's no secret the last handful of years, Notre Dame's putting a lot of guys in the NFL, quality guys in the NFL. The problem I have with this is people see these tweets and then Notre Dame people start getting on their high horse 
saying, oh, I thought Notre Dame was irrelevant or not an elite program. Look at all these guys we're putting in the league right up there with the cluster of teams that are winning playoff games and stuff. If that's going to be your position to brag about how many guys we're putting in the NFL and that it's comparable to these other teams that are considered elite or better than you or whatever or winning big, big games, my question is, if you got that many NFL guys every year that we want to brag about it as Notre Dame people, how is it possible they haven't won one game they weren't supposed to win since at Oklahoma in 2012? That's a fair question to ask. It's a fair question to ask. You want to brag, as a Notre Dame fan, if you want to brag that we're putting all these guys in the NFL, and isn't that great? Look at how good our program is. Look at how we're developing this NFL talent. It's also fair for me to ask why the last game they won they weren't supposed to was in 2012. So think about that the next time you want to brag about all these guys we're putting in the NFL. We haven't won a big game we weren't supposed to win since 2012. It's a long-ass time ago. Halloween weekend in 2012 at Oklahoma is the last game that fits that category. Us winning a big game we weren't expected to win. So you got to answer me that before I let you brag about how awesome these, uh, how many people Notre Dame's putting in the league. If there's that many and they're that good, why can't they win a big game? What else is not happening or what's going on? What's going wrong? Because it's not normal to have that much NFL talent not be able to win a big game for freaking eight years. Give me a break. Come on. Something else that I wanted to, to touch on briefly, they announced um, the, the home kickoff times for the Notre Dame games, and apparently that's like a big deal, which I don't really understand because you look at the home schedule and you already know what games are going to be night games or not just by looking at them. Lambeau Field, Wisconsin, yeah, you know that's going to be primetime night game. Clemson, November 7th, coming to Notre Dame. You know that's going to be a primetime night game. You shouldn't need an announcement to know that. That was always going to be what it is. There's only one that surprises me. And then when I really did some research, it doesn't surprise me. October 10th, and the only reason I remember that, it's my birthday. The Stanford game's a night game as well. Now, I was going to go to it whether it's a day or a night game. But it annoys me a little bit that we're acknowledging Stanford deserves that. Does that make sense to you guys? Like to me, when you push one of your home games into primetime night game, it isn't just about you, but it's often also about your opponent. Quite frankly, I don't think Stanford deserves primetime for Notre Dame anymore. Wipe that smirk right off Shaw's face. I don't think they're good enough to deserve it anymore. I really don't. So I'm a little annoyed that we're acknowledging that they're such a big competitive rival. We're going to put them in prime time. But when you think about it, one is NBC has the flexibility to do it a certain amount of times in a year with Notre Dame to flex them tonight. They're going to take advantage of that when they can. The other thing that I think went into the Stanford decision is the fact that the national slate that night is not very strong. 
So your NBC home game could be the main stage rather than having that game on NBC and you're going up against the ESPN game of the week on ABC at the same time. So it seems like they think this could be the biggest matchup. Therefore, it's not going to compete as much with the ABC uh, ESPN game. So that's interesting. I just personally, I, I don't love the idea of acknowledging to Shaw, yeah, it's a big deal, you're coming to town. I want it to start trending back the way it was where Stanford's irrelevant, like they were the first 30 years of my life, 25 years of my life. And so existentially, I'm a little annoyed that we're giving him that nod that we think it's that big of a game, but I understand the scheduling of it. It's really not that big of a deal. Weather will still be nice October 10th. Should be a beautiful night there to kick the crap out of him and wipe that arrogant smirk off his face. And then the final thing I wanted to touch on today is a little bit of a lighter topic, but I was asked what I think about the new iteration of the XFL that started over the weekend. And my thought is, it really depends on how you're going to look at the XFL, really depends on your framework of understanding what it is and what it is not. I saw a bunch of people tweeting, oh man, these XFL players look slower and not as athletic and not as big as the NFL. What is this? Yeah, duh. What the hell did you think this was going to be? If any of those guys were that bigger, bigger, stronger, and faster and more athletic, they'd be in the NFL. So that's a horrible take. If you're expecting NFL quality, you're not going to get it. That's not what this is. So if that's your goal, you're just being obtuse intentionally. That's not what this is. These are guys that a lot of them are trying to find their way on an NFL roster or work their way back to one. This is not meant to be and was never purported to be NFL quality football. That's not what this is for. And I admire these guys not playing for very much money. Most of them, the average is 55 grand. Quarterbacks are making over 100. There's escalators if you win games and do all this stuff. But I admire these guys not making a ton of money, but trying to ch still ch chase their dream. That's great. Now, the other thing for me is the time of the year the XFL season falls is perfect for somebody like me. I'm not a big basketball guy. I'm not a big hockey guy. For me, the golf season doesn't really start till the, till Masters in April. Baseball hasn't started yet for my White Sox, so I don't have that yet. This is building me a perfect bridge for some football when there usually isn't football. I'm never gonna. I'm not gonna watch a Bulls game. They're a disgraceful organization right now have been for the last 20, 25 years. I'm not going to watch that. I'll watch the Blackhawks when they were in their cup run. Now that they're not, I don't watch hockey. There is no more useless regular season in sports than college basketball. Not watching it. Don't care. Each game, it's just not that meaningful when you only got to be one of the top 60 teams to have a chance to win your ultimate goal at the end of the year. So that doesn't do much for me. So for me, having some football on in the background is great. Why not? Oh, the quality isn't as high. Yeah, I know what I'm getting, and it's fine. 
whatever. It's football when I usually don't have football. I fail to see how that could be a bad thing at all. I will say this for the XFL. I'm going to credit them this. When they initially tried this in the early 2000s, you're coming out of that WWF attitude era, late 90s, early 2000s. That version of the XFL was very clearly a more circus-oriented extension of the WWF Vince McMahon product. I mean, it was damn near like an extension of WWF Raw. You had the cheerleaders that were being risque and causing headlines, and you had all these gimmicks and all this stuff. It was very, very obviously a WWF product, which I think lost it some credibility. What I like about this version is, it's not the highest level of football, but they're making it about the football, which I think lends them some more credibility and also some more dignity for these players that they're playing in a league that at least looks like real football. And so I applaud them for that. That was my first thought when watching it. It was like, oh, wow, this is way less gimmicky and circusy and looks actually like football. Now, do I have a team? No, I don't have a team. How could anybody have a team? They've only been around like a day. Even if they plop one in your city, I don't know that many people that are diehard XFL. How could that even be? There's no history, no tradition. It all just started a day ago. So for me, it's not about picking a team. I don't care who it is. I was watching a red team Saturday. I have no idea what city it is. I just know they had a red jersey. And it was football in the background of my TV. Am I hanging on every play? Following on Twitter for the play-by-play like I do the Bears? No, I'm not. No, I'm not. But it's football when I usually don't have it, and that's a good thing. One thing that you're not going to have in this league is good running games. Now, it's not hard to find somebody to hand the ball off to. That's not the tricky part. The tricky part is any offensive lineman with a pulse is already on an NFL roster or practice squad. That's how hard it is to find good offensive linemen. So because of that, you're not going to have good running games because the offensive lines just aren't good enough. It just is what it is. It's part of the league. It is what it is. Some of this are also test balloons for the NFL, looking at different options for kickoffs, different options for the two-point play or what to do after a touchdown. All of those are test balloons for the NFL to look at how it plays out in this league. And I saw people complaining about it on Twitter. Again, who cares? This isn't your NFL team. Who cares what happens? Let them try some things out. Try some new things. Who the hell cares? I can't understand why anybody would care. These are not teams anybody should care about. So let them try some new things. I'll tell you what I do like. Being able to hear more in-depth coach stuff. Being able to hear more about the replay review process. Those are all things I like. That's not That stuff's not coming in the NFL. Those NFL guys don't tell you anything. So I do not expect any of the cool stuff with extra access being granted to the NFL through this. I just They just won't do it. The NFL don't tell you any information. They don't want you to know anything. 
particularly the one thing I would like, there should be a microphone in every review booth so the public could hear the discussion. There should be nothing they decide on a review in the NFL that they don't want the fan to hear. I want to hear that deliberation. And I want to hear what factors are being considered or not and how they're being considered live. I think NFL fans are entitled to that. They're never going to get it. They're never going to get it. They do not want you to have that transparency. And so overall, yeah, it's football on the TV when it usually isn't. So that's my overall take. Do I care about any of the teams? No. Do I care what happens? No. I just want to watch some football time of year where there isn't any. That's all. Now, if you do want some guys to follow, there's five Notre Dame guys on these rosters. So maybe you want to be a fan of New York because Jerron Jones and Daly are on New York. Martinis with Dallas, Niles Morgan, Seattle, and Terry and Fulston's with Tampa Bay. So if you want some Notre Dame interest, there certainly is some. So feel free to seek that out. I wish those guys well. I hope it leads up to a NFL job. And so that, that's where I'm at at the XFL. The biggest thing for me is I applaud that they made it more about football and less of a WWF gimmick. And I, and I, I don't know why, but that just makes me feel good for the players and coaches that this isn't just some gimmick joke thing that they have to do to try and get noticed. The fact that it looks more like a real football product and not a wrestling product extension, that's encouraging to me. I'm happy because I just feel like it gives those players more dignity of what they're doing than some Vince McMahon circus, if that makes sense. And so that's what I have for the day, you guys. Um, those, those are the big things that are on my mind. And listen, I'm really encouraged by this recruiting class. There are some difference makers we haven't been getting. There are some higher level guys that are a notch above what we're used to. I love that. But if these goals are real of getting into that top five, six, seven, I got major questions about where that ground's going to be made up. And I think they're fair questions. And I'm perfectly open to any of your guys' thoughts of how it's going to get done. Because there's only two paths. Get six, seven, or eight more really good guys to commit to you early or be a factor on a hat flip day. I don't see any in between or any other option. So you guys tell me what you think. Tell me what I'm missing here um, or, or if this makes sense to you. So like, comment, subscribe. Let's debate about it. We'll see you on Twitter. Talk to you next time.